Hello and greetings everyone. I'm Pastor Edwin Strickland and I serve as the Senior Pastor of Fellowship of Champions Church International, a worldwide ministry helping people to learn to live out their God-given dreams by walking in love and living by faith. And I get to be your host and your guide for this exciting journey that we're about to take that we call Ed Talk with Pastor Strick. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Ed Talk with Pastor Strick. I am your host. I'm your boy, Pastor Strick, and I am so excited to be back with you again on another Tuesday afternoon. Here on Ed Talk, we believe that if you can change your thinking, you can absolutely change your life. So you guys know what I need you to do. I need you to go ahead and tag your friends, tag your family members. I need you to heart this broadcast. I need you to help me get the word out. I need you to share it with those uh, who you know you typically see on here. Uh, there's an email probably going out right now, letting everybody know that we are live. It is 12.02, and we are ready to get started. Yes, listen, you guys know here on Ed Talk, our goal every week is to come and to blend knowledge, instruction, and faith with real-world solutions. So whether you're seeking to expand your knowledge base, whether you want to just uplift your spirit, or you're trying to find some common ground between the practical and the spiritual, you have come to the right place. Ed Talk with Pastor Strick is the place for you to find that common ground between the practical and the spiritual. And together, every week we come together because we want to forge connections. We want to bridge gaps. We want to spark thought and we want to ignite your curiosity and nurture our souls together so that we can all become the best versions of ourselves that we can possibly be. Today, we're going to dive deep into a topic that I believe has shaped the lives of millions and inspired individuals to transcend from just living a life of ordinary and to put them on a journey into the realm of the extraordinary. The title for today's episode is called Navigating Excellence. We're going to be talking about the seven habits that I believe fuel us to greatness. These seven habits aren't just words on paper. They're actually life-changing principles for charting a course to personal and professional fulfillment. Today's discussion promises to bring some fresh insights, some transformative stories, and I believe some actionable takeaways. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to grab your notebooks. I need you to open up your minds, and I need you to come with me and let's embark on this enlightening journey together. So without further ado, let's jump into today's discussion. And as we get ready to do that, I'm going to ask you one more time to do what I ask you to do every week. Go ahead and hashtag live if you're watching this live. You will know it's live because you don't see the small red box in the upper left-hand corner of your screen. You will also know that you're watching it on the replay if you don't see that box. So if you don't see it, go ahead and hashtag the word replay. Don't worry. The anointing is the same whether you watch it live or you catch it on the replay. I also love to know how you are engaging with Ed Talk. Are you watching this uh, on Facebook? Are you watching it on YouTube? 
just let me know. You can just hashtag the word Facebook or hashtag the word YouTube. That lets me know not only that you're watching it live, it lets me know how you're watching it. And then lastly, let me know where you're watching from. I know I've got some people from Arkansas on here. I got some people from Maryland on here. I saw a couple people from Florida on here. Listen, I even got some people, I, I believe one of my international partners from South Africa is on here, right? So I've got people watching the United States and we got people watching on another continent. So wherever you're watching from, go ahead and shout out your city. Let me know if you're watching live or if you're watching this on the replay. And then also let me know whether you're watching this on Facebook or you're watching this on YouTube. Shout out to North Carolina. I see them in the house. I see Philadelphia in the house. You guys keep tagging. You guys keep sharing. And we're going to jump right into uh, today's teaching. And before I do that, I don't want to forget to let you know how you can continue to contact and stay in connection with Pastor Strick on Ed Talk. You can simply go to www.pastorstrick.com. That will take you directly to my YouTube channel. All you have to do is hit the subscribe button. And if you hit that subscribe button, every time I go live on Tuesday, it will send you an alert. It will let you know that, hey, it is time for Ed Talk. And so you can go ahead and jump on and see everything that we're discussing. If, if YouTube is not your thing, maybe you use Amazon, maybe you use Apple, maybe you use iHeart, maybe you use Spotify or some other platform where you can listen to podcasts, don't worry. Just go to www.pastorstrictpodcast, all one word, dot com, and you'll be able to immediately go to that landing page. And that landing page will allow you to select which platform you would like to listen from. Again, we have all of season one that's already out there. Uh, today, I believe, is episode 12 of season two. Uh, and so uh, there's lots and lots of podcasts out there on various subjects. And so if, if you're needing some questions, you're needing some things to be answered, you probably can find it in one of those podcasts. Uh, and if not, you can certainly go to our church's webpage, which is www.focchurch.com. And there's years worth of teaching uh, on there that you can find. And so, again, thank you all for being here. Continue to tag, uh, continue to support, uh, continue to let your friends know. And then we're going to get into uh, today's teaching. As I said, we're going to be talking about navigating excellence, the seven habits that fuel greatness. Now, we really can't talk about excellence unless we define it, right? I'm one of those people who like for all of us to be on the same page when it comes to uh, whatever it is that we're talking about. At our church, when we talk about faith, we give a definition. When we talk about prosperity, we, we define it as total life prosperity, we give a definition. And so this afternoon, we're going to talk about what is excellence. And I want to define that. So that as we get started, uh, you understand how these habits that we're going to talk about relate to you becoming a person of great excellence. Now, excellence for the general sense is defined like this. It is the quality of being outstanding or to be extremely good at something. When we think about excellence, we don't think about average. We don't think about mediocre. We don't think about something being subpar. When we think about excellence, we think about it being a quality that is that, that shows up above all things. It is outstanding. It is outstanding or extremely good at something. Now, when it comes to different areas of our life, 
we understand excellence like this. If we're talking about uh, being excellent in our character, right? We're talking about that that means to, to be a person who upholds ourselves to the highest standard of ethical and moral behavior. If we're talking about excellence in our work environment, uh, in the professional context, excellence refers to consistently delivering high quality work, um, exceeding expectations and being able to master uh, your craft or be a master in your particular field. It often involves a commitment to continuous learning, which we talked about last week, uh, to innovation and to being a person who seeks to improve. Again, when we're talking about excellence, if we're talking about excellence in school, in the academic environment, it's talking about achieving top grades, mastering particular subjects, making significant contributions to one's particular field, right? If we're talking about in athletics, and we all kind of can relate to that because this is football season and we're getting ready to tip off basketball season. If we're talking about sports, we're talking about peak performance. If we're talking about excellence, we're talking about being the top of your game, mastering a particular skill, whether it's bowling or golf or, or pickleball, whatever it is, it's about outperforming your competitors. Excellence is about being the top of the class. It's also about discipline though. It's about training. It's about mental fortitude. It's about your pursuit to be your personal best. And then lastly, when we talk about excellence, we think about it in the realm of our personal lives. On a personal level, excellence means the pursuit of our passions. It means to be in pursuit of our goals and our dreams and reaching our fullest potential. And that's today what we want to talk about. What do we do to reach our best potential? It's about personal growth. It's about self-awareness. It's about resilience. And it's about having the drive to actually overcome challenges and obstacles that we face. The Bible tells us like this, Jesus warned us, he says, in this world, you will have troubles. He then says to us, but don't trip about it, right? Because I've already overcome the world. And if you're in me, then you'll overcome the world too. But there are some things that we have to do in order to manage our personal lives so that excellence becomes the thing that we're constantly striving for. See, in essence, to be excellent in one's activities, to be excellent in one's behaviors or doings means to consistently strive for the highest standard. It means never settling for mediocrity and to continuously seek improvement and mastery in every area of your life. It is a combination of skill, of passion, of dedication, and a commitment to one's own stated value. And so when we talk about navigating excellence, I want you to know that we're talking about excellence in every area of your life. In the same way that we talk about finances and we say when we talk about prosperity, we include finances, but we don't say that prosperity is just finances because for us, we live the TLP life, right? Total life prosperity. And when we talk about total life prosperity, we talk about prosperity in our health. We talk about prosperity in our relationships. We talk about prosperity in our careers. We talk about prosperity in our social environments, in our mental state, in every area of our life. And so when we talk about excellence today and how we navigate 
to this pathway of living a life of excellence, I want you to think about it in those terms. I want you to think about it in the personal sense. I want you to think about it in the academic sense. For those of you that are in school, I want you to think about it in the professional sense. For those of you that are in your careers, especially those of you who are believing God to move up uh, the career ladder. And then for those of you who are just living your life, I want you to think about what excellence means in a general sense. That It is the quality of being outstanding or extremely good at something, right? Now, there is no doubt in my mind that each of you on here have probably heard this phrase before. It is a phrase that says success leaves clues. And if you haven't heard it, and even if you have, I want you to put that in the comment section. Put that in the comment section right now. Success leaves clues. Now, that phrase was made popular and made famous uh, by life coach Tony Robbins. But Tony Robbins really just got that from the word of God because the word of God says it like this. It says to follow after those who through faith and patience, consistency, have received the promise. So what Tony did is he, he literally took that from the word of God and he simply made it uh, into a statement that says like this, success leaves clues. Well, understand the essence of this statement is that successful people often have patterns, they have habits, and they have strategies that they consistently apply to every area of their life. And because they apply them consistently, and because they can be observed, and because they can be studied, and because they can be emulated uh, from different people in different fields in order to produce the same results, we understand then that if we can study not who the person is, and if we can study not just what the field is, but if we can drill down to the habits that successful people have, we too can duplicate those habits so that we can be successful in every area that God has called us to. Success leaves clues. Now, with that said, understand this. There is no universal blueprint in the landscape of achieving success. Because throughout history, there have been countless individuals who have forged many unique paths to achieve their dreams. However, as diverse as those journeys might be, there are certain habits, there are certain practices and behaviors that consistently emerge as cornerstones in the various success stories that you could possibly read about. It doesn't matter if they're titans of industry or they're groundbreaking innovators, whether they are world-renowned artists to impactful community leaders. There are some common traits and practices that weave together all of their stories, whether you're looking at someone in athletics, someone in politics, someone in banking and finance, someone in medicine. It doesn't matter who those people are. If, you, if they're successful in their field, you can start to drill down and you can start to see some similarities in the behaviors, in the patterns, and the way they move and act in their particular daily life that shows up time and time again. And if we're smart, we can start to find out what the clues are that they are leaving behind to their success. Understand this. These habits and these practices aren't just about working harder. 
So many times people think that you got to work hard to be successful. But if you start to look at all of these characteristics, and we're going to look at seven that I believe are extremely common among people in every industry, those who are at the top of their industry, we're going to look at these and you're going to see that these habits and these practices aren't just about working harder. And watch this. It's not even just about working smarter. It actually is about how do you live a life so that you are in pursuit of true success. It's about understanding and embracing these habits, these practices, these behaviors and principles so that you can be the absolute game changer in the thing that God has called you to. Right. And God may call you uh, to, to, to ministry. God may call you to the field of medicine. God may call you to the field of, of therapy. Or God may call you to the field of entrepreneurship. Whatever God's calling you to, the field is really irrelevant. What's important today is that you learn to understand how to identify the clues that have been left behind by those who have been successful and those who consistently be successful in their field and those who consistently be successful in whatever field they're called to. So let's discuss these seven habits, these seven habits that fuel greatness and provide you with some actionable steps to the I believe can propel you toward your own version of success. If you're ready, go ahead and put this in the comment section. Say, I'm ready to become excellent. Go ahead and make that. Even if you're excellent, you're ready to become more excellent, right? I am ready to become excellent. And so what I want to do on Ed Talk today is just share with you these seven things that I've, I, I've identified. Uh, the research seems to back it up when I went to look. Uh, and, and if you start to read various biographies, if you watch various interviews of people who uh, are successful in their field, who we would call successful, you're going to get glimpses of these habits, right? And so all I've done is, is taking the seven that I believe are extremely important um, to, to, to me and, and has been productive in my life and share them with you because I believe they'll be productive in yours. Everybody says they're ready. Let's go. Let's talk about number one. Truly successful people understand that no matter what circumstance they find themselves in, they always have the freedom to choose their actions. As a result, one of the things that I think is extremely important for anybody who is going to be excellent in anything that they do is they learn how to, number one, take personal responsibility. They learn the importance of taking personal responsibility. Now, I understand that we cannot control everything that happens to us, but in every situation, and I want you to hear me, I don't use the word every and always a lot, but in every situation, we can control how we respond. You, when people say, well, they made me do it, that is not personal responsibility language. We have to learn to take personal responsibility. Genuinely successful people, they embrace personal responsibility because they understand that it emphasizes the power of choice. People who embrace personal responsibility always feel like they have a choice because they know that they always do. 
Rather than being reactive, right, controlled by these external factors, being controlled by someone else's mood, rather being controlled by someone else's feelings or even their own mood or feelings. People who embrace taking personal responsibility understand that they should be proactive in recognizing their ability to choose the appropriate response. Watch this, regardless of the stimuli. So in other words, if I am a person of integrity, then even if there's an opportunity to steal, I don't take that opportunity because it doesn't go along with my values. If I say I'm a born again Christian and I treat people with respect, even if I go to the store and the, and the cashier is rude to me, the cashier throws my change at me. The, uh, you know, they, they do something that, that, that goes against what should be happening. I take personal responsibility in the fact that if I curse them out, they didn't make me do it. I chose to do it because just like I could have chosen not to curse them out, I chose to curse them out. So you, you, you have to be a person who understands that if you're ever going to be successful and you're ever going to be able to navigate your pathway to your own greatness, you must become a person who takes re per personal responsibility. How do you take personal responsibility in your life? How do you do this? Well, first, you must understand the difference between something I call the circle of concern and the circle of influence. What is the circle of concern? For me, the circle of concern are those things that we as human beings often tend to worry about that we have no control over, okay? That's the circle of concern. I, I, I'm, I'm concerned about something that I don't have the ability to have direct control over other than through prayer. Prayer is always available. But I mean, like, I don't have control over what Miss Jacqueline Johnson does, right? I don't have control over uh, what Kristen does or what Yvette does or what Tamara does. I don't have personal control over what they do on a daily basis. So for me to be worried and concerned on a daily basis about them to the degree that it stops me from doing the things I can control, that is what I need to get over. I have to think about personal responsibility. And in personal responsibility, we spend our time focusing on what I call the circle of influence. What is the circle of influence? Those are things that we can actually do something about. When you start to think about the circle of concern and the circle of influence, what this emphasizes is that while many things might concern us, and there's a lot of things that concern me. I'm sure there's a lot of things that concern you. There are a lot of things in politics, especially right now in our society, that absolute concerns me. But the question I remember to ask myself every day when I start to get frustrated with some of the things that I see and hear is what can I actually influence? What are the subset of things that I can influence? What can I do to do my part? Therefore, my energy gets best spent on the circle of influence rather than on my circle of concern. Genuinely successful people not only take responsibility for their own actions, but they also take responsibility for their language. What do I mean? I mean, listen, I might not can determine by myself who the governor of this state can be. 
but I can certainly participate in the voting process and I can certainly vote for the person I think is the best candidate. I can certainly talk to my friends and family about the reasons they should vote and what and who they should vote for and why they should vote for those people. Right. That, that I can do that. But I also not only have to take responsibility for my actions, I got to take responsibility for my language. What do I mean? This is something that I call the language of responsibility. I got to take personal responsibility, but then I got to take responsibility for my language. People who practice language responsibility shy away from what I call reactive language. Let's talk about reactive language. You're going to notice something here. People who practice taking res personal responsibility and people who practice taking responsibility for their language, they shy away from reactive language and they lean in to proactive language. Well, you say, well, what's reactive language? Reactive language is the kind of language that implies a lack of control over one's decisions and feelings. What do I mean? It suggests that external circumstances or other people dictate their choices, their actions, and their reactions. In other words, when you study successful people, Successful people don't have reactive language as a part of their natural vocabulary. What's an example of reactive language? Language that says things like this, I can't, because I can't implies that there's no choice in the matter. It's, become, it's an automatic, oftentimes unexamined response that people have. Another example of reactive language is things like I have to. Because I have to suggest an obligation without choice. But you're not a person who's under obligation without choice. Because even if the situation you're in is terrible, you have the choice in how to respond to it. Another example of reactive language is language like if only. See, if only places blame on external circumstances or on other people, and it abdicates you from the responsibility of being able to choose. A, a, a final example of some reactive language, and there's more, but you get the gist of this. Reactive language is like when you say things like, they make me, or they made me. Why? Because that indicates that others control our emotions or our reactions. One of the things that we have practiced in our family, and if you ask our children, um, their ages, I think like, what is it, like from 28 down to 17, right? If you ask any of those five children of ours, when they would say things like, so-and-so made me, the thing that we would always say, and Pastor Sean and I say it to each other even now, is no one makes you. No one makes you. You don't get to use that reactive language where you advocate responsibility for your behaviors. Nobody made you. You chose to, even if you had really bad information and poor reasoning for why you did it, you still made the choice. Reactive language is simply that unexamined responses that we give so that we can abdicate our responsibility. And people who, successful people, genuinely successful people who take responsibility don't practice that kind of language. What kind of language do they practice? They practice proactive language. Why? Because proactive language signifies a sense of responsibility and a sense of choice. Even in challenging situations, 
even in the most difficult situations, I still have a choice. In fact, one of the most empowering things you can say to yourself on a daily basis is I have the power to choose. In fact, go ahead and type that in the comment section. There's about 40 of you on here with me today. Type this in the comment section. Say, I have the power to choose. It's a powerful, powerful statement. I have the power to choose because that indicates that as the individual, I get to believe that I can choose my response regardless of the circumstance. Regardless of the circumstance, I have the power to choose. This is something that truly successful people understand and embrace on a daily basis. I don't care if they're in athletics. I don't care if they're in the field of medicine. I don't care if they're in politics. I don't care if they're in finance. I don't care if they're in arts and entertainment. It doesn't matter what field they're in, whether they're in the culinary arts, right? Whether you are a baker, whether you are a person who pours concrete and you're in construction, it doesn't matter. Truly successful people who are at the top of their field always feel like I have the power to choose. They don't feel like that choice has been taken from them. Why? Because they understand that their words have power. Now, we were talking about reactive language, right? Reactive language takes away that local control. How do you know if you're in that kind of mindset? Because you operate from this idea of external locus of control. What do I mean by external locus of control? External locus of control is the belief that external forces, be they what people call fate or other people or uncontrollable circumstances, they believe that those things predominantly influences their life. Hear me when I say this. I don't mean to be rude. And I don't mean to be condescending. You may have had some terrible things happen to you in your life. I am not negating that. What I am telling you is that those terrible things do not have the power to control the rest of your life unless you give them power. You can take responsibility to choose to behave and act differently even in the face of the most egregious of circumstances. And if you do, it will change you from being a person who believes in external locus of control and it will take you out of the second thing which I call the victim mentality. What is the victim mentality? The victim mentality is you seeing yourself as a victim of circumstances rather than an active participant or an agent in your own life. Go ahead and type this in the comment section. Say, I am not a victim. I am not a victim. Listen, I may have had some bad stuff happen to me. I may have had some things happen in my childhood. I may have had some things happen to me in my adolescence. I may have had some things happen to me in my early teens. My marriage may not have turned out the way I wanted to. I may have had some friends who have disappointed me. But at the end of the day, hear me when I speak. I am not a victim. Why? Because a victim believes they don't have choice. I have the power to choose. This often, this mentality of being a victim often leads to feelings of helplessness and to feelings of resignation. And that is the reason that people would decide that just whatever life brings me is just what I'm going to have. Because they, 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 they've used their language to abdicate their responsibility to be able to choose.
And what I'm telling you is that when you start to look at the life of truly successful people, these are things that they do not do. They do not believe in external locus of control, meaning that everything that happens to them is a result of something on the outside. They do not fall into the victim mentality. What they do is they use proactive language, language like this. They say, I choose to, I prefer to, I will, or let's look for alternatives. They use those kind of words because they understand when they say, I choose to, that it's a conscious acknowledgement that there are choices available to them and that in selecting one, they get to determine their specific action or response and outcome. They say things like, I prefer to, rather than stating something is an absolute need or a fixed rule, this expresses a personal inclination or desire to do a particular thing. They use words like, I will. Why? Because it demonstrates a commitment and an intent. I will be victorious. I will live for Christ. I will be rich. I will be healthy. I will be successful. I will have a good family. I will have good relationships. I will have good health. They make those kind of proactive statements because they take responsibility for their language and their actions. Now, what's different about proactive mindset versus a reactive mindset? Well, here it is. If I'm talking about my reactive mindset, it's about external locus of control. But when I'm talking about a proactive mindset, I'm talking about an internal locus of control. What's an internal locus of control? It's the belief that I have significant influence over the events in my life and my responses to them. Let me say that again. I believe that I, and I believe that you, have significant influence over events in your life and the response to those events. Now, while not everything is under your control, your reactions and your decisions to those stimuli certainly are. Why? Because what that does, it puts me in a place rather than a victim mentality into an empowerment mentality, an empowerment mindset. Go ahead and say that. Say, I have an empowerment mindset. What's an empowerment mindset? With this mindset, you feel empowered. That, that word empowered also means blessed. You feel blessed. You feel empowered to make choices and to take responsibility for their actions. You recognize that while you cannot control every situation, you can always control your response. So the decision today is, number one, I'm going to become, if I want to be successful, if I seek to be successful, right, then I have to take personal responsibility. I must take personal responsibility. And in order to do that, I have to watch my language because reactive language is going to lead me down a path of being passive or feeling helpless and a tendency to blame others and external factors for my problems or current state of mind. But if I choose to be proactive, then that's going to encourage me, right, to have a solution-oriented mindset, to be behavior-driven, and to have personal responsibility. Proactive individuals believe that they can impact change, that they can make choices, and that they, and they can influence their outcomes, leading to a more resilient and adaptive approach to life challenges. So if you're on the road to being excellent, you want to be excellent. You said you did earlier. You posted it in the comment. The number one thing you got to do is you got to take the personal responsibility.
You got to give up the victim mentality. You got to stop it, un, stop thinking that everything that happens to you is a result of some external force. And you got to take ownership back of your life and say, wait a minute, I may not control everything that happens to me, but I can control how I respond. I can have an empowerment mindset. I can focus on internal locus of control, believing that whatever comes my way, I got the power to choose how to respond to it and that I can choose the right response. And that when I don't, I don't blame others or I don't blame other things. I accept the personal responsibility. I learn from it and I learn to become a better individual as a result of it. So number one, if you want to be a person of excellence, you got to take personal responsibility. Here's the second thing that truly, truly successful people do. They value vision. They value vision. Valuing vision is all about setting clear goals and having a purpose-driven life. Now, I know years ago, uh, the gentleman out at Saddleback Church in California wrote the book, A Purpose-Driven Life. It's a great book. But part of your purpose-driven life needs to come not from your desires, but what is it that God has called you to? OK, so so truly successful people, even if they don't acknowledge God, when you talk to them, they talk about being called, being led to an industry, being led to solve a problem, being led to do a particular thing. See, a person can work more effectively towards their goals and dreams when, it, when they start to visualize the end result. I cannot tell you that you should not underestimate the power of imagination, the power of visualizing. We as individuals are three parte beings. We have a body, okay? We are spirits and we possess a soul. The soul is the mind, the will, the emotions, the imagination and the intellect. It is the part of us who people say they know. People say they know strict. People say they know Sean. People say they know Shavandra. They say they know Tanitri. They know uh, Mama Sand. When people say they know us, what they're really knowing is they really are knowing our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions, our, men, our, our imagination, and our intellect. That's the part of us that they really get to know. And visualization is a part of the soul. It's our ability to imagine. And visualization plays a pivotal role in starting any task or project with a clear vision of the desired outcome and then working towards that end goal. I'm an educator. I've got some educators on the broadcast with me. One of the things I learned early on in the 90s when they were training us as teachers is they taught us this idea of something called backwards design. It was the idea that if I was going to design a unit of study for my children in my class, that before I ever taught the first lesson, I should have all of my um, intermediate assessments already written. I should have my final assessment already written. And everything I teach to those students should be lined up in that curriculum toward the things that I'm going to be assessing them on. That I shouldn't be teaching them something and then figuring out what I'm going to assess later. Well, in order to do that, I had to visualize what that whole entire unit was going to be. I had to visualize what the objectives were going to be. I had to visualize what the outcomes was going to be. I had to visualize the activities that I was going to use to train and teach the children the information that I said I was going to test them over. Well, that's what visualization does for you and I in our lives. 
Where do you want to be a year from now? Where do you want to be five years from now? Where do you want to be 10 years from now? You need to get a visualization. You need to let God show you where that's supposed to look like. And then you start to walk that thing out backwards, right? You know, if I say I want to lose uh, 20 pounds, if I want to, if I want to be 20 pounds down by January 1st, okay, today is October 24th. What am I going to have to do in order to get there? If I just try random stuff along the way, I'm going to get to January 1st and be extremely disappointed. But if I know what it takes to get there and I say, OK, these is how many days I have between October 24th and January 1st, I can work my way backwards. I can set uh, interim assessments and see where I am along the way. Truly successful people value vision. They don't mind sitting down and taking the time to dream because they say, hey, even if I take a whole day to dream, it's going to be more productive than me just walking aimlessly toward some goal that I think I, I, I want in the future and hope I get there. Visualization allows you to create a clear and vivid mental image of your desired outcome. This mental image serves as a blueprint for your aim and it serves as a blueprint for you ensuring that you and any collaborators who work with you share a unified vision. My wife and I recently sat down and we mapped out the major things we want to do in our church for 2024. Why did we do that? Because we don't need to be trying to do that as we go. We need to have a vision because if something's going to require planning, it's going to require finances, it's going to require people, and it's going to be happening in September, we need to be planning for that right now. Why? Because it, it, the vision makes it plain. The Bible talks about writing the vision down and making it plain so they that see it can run with it. You need to have a vision that you can run with it. But if you don't spend time dreaming, if you don't spend time writing your goals down, if you don't spend time meditating on the things God's called you to, you will never be excellent in that area. My wife has a degree in sports psychology. She'll tell you, and any of the really good people who are in sports would tell you, they spend so much time visualizing. I'm visualizing what it would be like to pay for someone's college education. I visualize what it's like for me to be able to stand up in a meeting and say, hey, I got the money for the budget. I visualize what it's like to see a family who's lost everything in a fire. And I visualize what it's like for me and my wife to say, hey, don't worry about it. We, we'll buy you a house and everything you need. In it. When I'm walking sometimes, that's what I'm visualizing. Why? Because the power of visualization is more powerful than I believe we ever give, our, we ever give it credit for. Let me tell you how powerful visualization was. The Bible says in the book of Genesis that the Lord came to Adam and he picked up dirt out of the ground. And he said, Adam, whatever you call this, this is what it would be. And so the Lord scoops down some dirt and he asked Adam, Adam, what is this? Before Adam could say what it was, he had to visualize what it was. Adam visualizes that it's a giraffe and he says, it's a giraffe. And the Bible says that dirt became a giraffe. The power of visualization, of visualization is so important that the Bible says you and I were made in the image of God. If Adam was made in the image of God and we were made in the image of God, then God expects us to use our imagination. And watch this. We did it as kids. 
We do this kids all the time. Let me ask you this question. When is the last time you looked up at the clouds and you saw in those clouds a duck, a fire truck, a hot air balloon, a, 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 a clown? When, when is the last time you looked up in the sky and actually visualized and saw something? Most of us, as we get older, the world zaps our creativity. It zaps our imagination. And we get so used to only being able to see what is in front of us. And that's how the enemy keeps us pigeonholed. It is time to dream. Somebody put that in the comment section. Say, it's time to dream. It is time for us to dream. Seeing a visual representation of your end goal can be so inspiring. It can serve as a reminder of what you're working towards and can motivate you to persevere through challenging times. Some of you know, because we've shared it on our Facebook page, my wife and I are walking 100 miles in the month of October. Every day we have not felt like walking. We have not felt like getting out there and walking at a minimum 3.2 miles every single day. We haven't felt like it, but we have a dream. We have a vision that says by October 31st, we'll be able to say we have walked a hundred miles. So we have a saying, when I don't want to go walking and she doesn't want to go walking, we say to each other, these miles aren't going to walk themselves. These miles aren't going to walk themselves. Listen, your business is not going to grow by itself. Your health is not going to get better by itself. Your money ain't going to stop being funny by itself. You are going to have to get a vision and you're going to have to start dreaming because that is something that truly successful people do on a daily basis. Right? Because with a clear visual end goal, it is easier for you to recognize and to avoid distractions. Listen, there's about two or three movies that I really want to see right now. And one of them is really close to going out of the theater and I need to go see it before it goes off. But I can't abdicate my responsibility that I've made to myself to walk a certain number of miles every day, plus the other things I have to do. I got to try to fit that movie in when it fits. And if it doesn't fit in, then I'll have to watch it some other time. Why? Because I am resolute. I have a level five commitment to completing my goal of walking the hundred miles. If you don't know what level five commitment I'm talking about, you should go back to the Fellowship of Champions website, and you should search and find the broadcast where we talk about the different levels of commitment. I'm not at a level one. I'm not at a level two, three, or four. I'm at a level five. I guarantee you I will have walked 100 miles before the end of this month. Why? Because it is something I've already seen myself doing. And when you've already seen yourself doing something, it is so easy to overcome the distractions. It's so easy to overcome and avoid any pitfalls that's trying to stop you. I don't worry about tasks that don't contribute to my objective. If something's going to come up on my plate and it's not contributing to me doing the goals that I've set for myself, I push it to side. Why? Because I've already seen myself accomplishing this goal. Some of you don't know this, but I joined a bowling league in August. My goal is to get my average up to 200. Right now, I'm about 178. 
So what do I do? I visualize myself, even when I'm walking, what it's like taking my approach. How is my arm positioned? How does my arm swing? How do I make the release? How do I hold my hand in position until I see that ball making a strike? And I visualize it over and over and over and over and over and over again. And every week I go, I get a little better. Every week I go, I get a little better. I have somebody who can give me some tips. I have somebody who explains to me the way I'm throwing my ball. I have somebody that tells me the way I'm positioning my body. Why? Because in the end, I already see myself as a 200 pin average bowler. What do you see yourself as? Come on. This is Ed talk. What do you see yourself as? Do you see yourself as heel? Do you see yourself as well? Do you see yourself as, 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 as already being successful? Do you see yourself making a minimum of six figures a year? Do you see yourself doing that? And, and I love what Dexter Lee said a couple of weeks ago. He said, don't get it twisted. Six figures is uh, 100,000 or 999,999 is six figures. You don't have to relegate yourself to the 100 or the 200 or the 300. But do you see yourself? Where do you see yourself? Because wherever you see yourself is where you'll end up. Truly successful people take responsibility and truly successful people value vision. Okay. All right. Let's run through this. Number three, another thing that truly successful people do is they prioritize what's important. They prioritize what's important. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here today because I talked about this last week. I talked about the Eisenhower, the Eisenhower matrix, right? Named after our 34th president, Dwight Eisenhower, right? It is a system. It is a matrix for how you prioritize what's important. If you talk to any truly successful person, especially those who are in titans of industry and business and they're leading Fortune 500 companies, they will tell you that they have a some type of time management system that allows them to prioritize what's most important. Now, the Eisenhower matrix, we talked about this. I said that if you got a piece of paper, right, uh, in, within those four corners, you drew a line down the middle, you drew a line uh, horizontally across, that you would have four quadrants. And that in those quadrants lays different tasks and different things that you have to do. I told you last week that quadrant one is where you put all the tasks that are both urgent and important, right? Quadrant one is urgent and important tasks. Those are the tasks that require immediate attention, but they also align with one's goals and values. We were laughing. I knew I had to do Ed Talk today. I knew I had to go pick up my bowling ball because I had my bowling ball refurbished. I knew I had told my wife that I was going to cook today. I was going to fold some clothes today, which she took off of my plate. I knew I had to do my show notes uh, for, for the podcast to be uh, uploaded later on this afternoon. I knew all of these things I had to do. But do you know what was at the top of my list? And if my wife was on here, she would tell you because I showed it to her. On the top of my list, it said, walk and close your exercise ring on your Apple phone. It was the first thing that I was going to do. And do you know I've already walked my 60 minutes today? I've already closed my exercise ring. Why? Because it was quadrant one for me. It was urgent that I do it, and it was important that I do it because it aligned to my goals and my visions, and I took personal responsibility for it, okay? Now, the rest of these is like quadrant two, Quadrant two is not urgent, but important. 
These are tasks that are important, but they really focus on more long-term things, right? Uh, not something you have to do today, but you need to be setting some time to be thinking about it and to be working on it. They're long-term things. Quadrant, th quadrant three are things that are urgent, but not important. These are tasks that come up that demand your immediate attention, but are not necessarily important to the context of your long-term goal. For me, this would be something like if I had came over to the studio today and found out that there was a flood, right? Okay, that's pretty urgent. It's not really important because it doesn't go with my long-term goals, but it's something I got to focus on, okay? I would have had to do air talk while I had, a call, had my wife try to call and find someone who can come over here and take care of the water damage, right? Number four is the things you kind of got to stay away for. I call these time zappers, Okay, quadrant four is time zappers. They're not urgent and they're not important. But so many people spend so much time in quadrant four. I used to explain it to my staff this way. I would say to them, we cannot be an organization that runs around with our hair on fire. Everything can't be an emergency. Everything can't have to be solved and happened in this moment. And if it is, it's because we don't have process and procedures in place in which to deal effectively with the things that we have going on in our operations. These are tasks that are neither urgent or important. They don't contribute significantly to achieving long term goals, and they can often be considered distractions. So you got to learn how to get those things out of your life. OK, whatever time management tool works best for you, that's fine. But you should have one. You should have some time management tool that you use so that you can identify for your own personal self what is urgent and important, what is not urgent and important, what is urgent but not important, and what is not urgent neither or important. You need to understand what those things are in your life so that they don't zap you from your time and stop you from being great. All right. Number four, the fourth thing that truly, truly successful people do, genuinely successful people, they always seek mutual benefit. They seek uh, solutions where both parties can benefit. They have a mindset of seeking mutual benefit in when it comes to interpersonal interactions. It's never about a one-sided I win situation and the other side has to lose. But finding solutions that benefit everybody. But let me show you the underlying mindset for the reason that most people do not work to seek mutual benefit. And if this is you, you can change today. Most people do not seek mutual benefit because they operate from either a scarcity mentality or, a, or abundance mentality. And if you operate from a scarcity mentality, you will not seek mutual benefit. That's exactly right, Ms. Oliver. Most people who are successful seek win-win situations. They seek win-win. They don't seek I win more and you win less. They seek actual mutual benefit. They are looking for comradeship. But people who operate in a scarcity mentality, they do not. And let me tell you why. Because people operate from a scarcity mentality, they operate from a zero-sum game, a zero-sum game. People with a scarcity mindset, they see life in terms of win or lose. They believe that there are limited resources. They believe that there are limited opportunities. 
They believe that there are limited times of success. So one person's gain is seen as their potential loss. As I was studying this the other day, it's the reason some of you may have seen this. I posted it on my Facebook page. I said, I am genuinely rooting for everybody to win. I genuinely want everybody to win, except for the races. I don't want them to win. But I am genuinely wanting everybody to win. I want people to win. I want them to be successful. I want people to achieve their goals. Why? Because I don't operate from a zero-sum game. People who do not seek mutual benefit are overly competitive in nature. They have a belief in limited resources. They often feel that they need to compete against other people in order to get their share before it's all gone. They believe that, that the world is a pie. And if you, whatever piece you get, that's a piece I can't get. They have a scarcity mentality. People who have a scarcity mentality are resistant to change because for them, change is seen as a threat, as it might mean fewer resources or fewer opportunities for them. They often prefer the status quo, even if it's not ideal. Even if status quo is not the ideal situation, they'd rather have that than to try something new because trying something new makes them afraid because they are afraid that if this new thing happens, what if I get less than I'm getting right now? They operate from a scarcity mentality. People who operate from a scarcity mentality are also typically jealous and harbor resentment. What do I mean by that? They see other people succeed and they start to have feelings of jealousy and resentment because they perceive that someone else's success somehow takes away from their own potential success. People who are not able to seek mutual benefit, they operate from a scarcity mentality. They also have what we've talked about before, they have a fixed mindset. They believe that their abilities and that their fate, if you want to call it that, is somehow predetermined, leading to feelings of helplessness and resignation. They feel like if you win, I have to lose. It's the reason that people feel okay with giving to somebody who has less than them. But they have an issue with giving to someone they perceive who has more than them. Why? Because they say, wait a minute, that means if I give to someone who has more to me, I'm going to have less and they're going to have more because they have a scarcity mentality. Go ahead and type this in the comment section. Say, I do not have a scarcity mentality. You need to be making that. You, even every time you feel like somebody got something and you didn't. Every time you feel like you prayed for something and, and you've been asking for two and three and four and five years and here this newcomer is coming and they just now met Christ yesterday and they're asking for this and they got it. You need to bind that spirit of jealousy, bind that spirit of, 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 of resentment, bind that spirit, uh, that spirit of a zero sum game and a competitive nature and a resistance to change, bind all of that so that you can learn to develop an abundance mindset. For those of you who said, I do not have a scarcity mindset, go ahead and say this, I do have an abundance mindset. 
I don't have a scarcity mindset, but I do have an abundance mindset. What is an abundance mindset? It's a belief in plenty. It's a belief in cooperation over competition. It's in a belief that I can embrace change and that I can do hard things and that I can do hard things long enough that they are no longer hard things. It's about me being able to actually be happy for somebody else's success. Every time I see somebody post that their student loan debt got paid off, I clap for them. I say, praise God. I thank God for them. Why? Because I know that if God delivers someone's debt, God can deliver whatever debt I have. I'm happy. I'm happy for every person who gets a car paid off. I'm happy for every person whose house is paid off. I'm happy for every person who gets their medical bills dismissed. I'm happy for every student loan that gets canceled. I'm happy for everybody because I want to see everybody win. Is there anybody else out there who wants to see other people win? I genuinely want to see other people win. Ain't no jealousy when it comes to that in my body. Why? I have an abundance mentality. I understand that what God has for me is for me. You can't have what God has for me. You can have what you have. You can have all that you have, but you can't have any of what I have because God has designated it for me. And so I live from a place of abundance. What do I mean? I believe in plenty. I have a mindset that there are plenty of resources. There are plenty of opportunities. There's enough success to go around. I believe in cooperation. I believe that there's enough for everybody. I don't mind change. Change is an opportunity for God to do a new thing in my life. How can God do something better if he doesn't do something new? And so people who are truly successful, they embrace this idea of seeking win-win and having mutual benefit. We cannot bankrupt God. Kimberly, you're exactly right. I believe in plenty. We can all win. Y'all preaching in the comment section today. That is exactly right. So number five, what do extremely successful people do? They employ something called empathetic communication. Now, this term may be new to you, but the idea is not. Empathetic communication is a way of talking and listening to other people that shows that you understand and that you care about their feelings and emotions. Truly successful people make you feel like, and I know we don't use the word make you, but truly successful people give you the opportunity to feel like not only are they listening to you, but they actually genuinely care about you, what you have to say and what you're going through. It is the idea that before you try to under to be understood, right? Before you, before you want someone to understand you, it is the idea that it is essential for you to truly understand the person that you're dealing with. Truly successful people get this, but this requires empathetic listening. Listening is more than just hearing somebody. It is an active process of understanding and interpreting the verbal and the nonverbal messages from other people. Now, I don't have time to go through all of these today, but I'll just list them for you. There's a list that you can go and Google and find of different types of listening. And they start with the most egregious form of listening, 
all the way to the one we're talking about today, which is empathetic communication. Number one is ignoring. Ignoring. At this level, there's no effort to listen or pay attention whatsoever. There's no eye contact. There's no noticeable uh, uh, paying attention. There's distraction. There's complete detachment. Okay, that's one way to listen, to just kind of listen while you're ignoring. The second one is pretend listening. A lot of people do pretend listening. Here, the listener makes it appear as though they are listening, but they're not generally engaged or processing what's being said. There's some occasional head nodding. There's some, oh, uh-huh, some all right, some oh, yes, but they're not actually listening. And then we have what's called selective listening. This listener only pays attention to the parts of the conversation that typically interest them or has something to do with them. They don't really care about the person who's talking. They're just listening for to find out whether or not what the person's saying actually impacts them in a positive or negative way. And then we have what is known as attentive listening. This is where I think most people try to achieve because the here the listener is focused and they pay attention closely to the speaker. They're actively trying to understand the full message, but they may not yet be integrating their own emotions or the emotions of the speaker into that listening. What we want to get to, though, is what we call reflective or empathetic listening. In empathetic listening, it's the deepest form of listening. And truly successful people have mastered this. I admit I have not mastered this yet. I am probably more at the active or reflective listening stage when I'm cognizant of it. When I'm not, I sometimes can drop down to that pretend listening stage. And I know I'm doing it when, when, I'm, when I'm doing something and my wife will say something and she'll say, you're not listening to me. And I say, yes, I am. And she'll say, what did I say? And I can tell her what I said as I'm playing it back in my mind. Some of y'all have done that before. It's pretend listening. You're not actively listening and you're certainly not empathetically listening. But truly successful people, if you look over the lives of those people, they learn to employ empathetic communication on almost a daily basis, on almost a daily basis, all right? Let's finish this up. Number six, truly successful, truly successful people are collaborative in their endeavors. Generally successful people value and leverage the strengths of other people in order to achieve their goals. They understand and embrace the idea that collaboration can lead to better outcomes than doing things on their own. Some of y'all think y'all are an island. You are not an island. You are not called to do life by yourself. You were not called to do life alone. But because you don't seek mutual benefit, you also don't know how to synergize. You also don't know how to use the collaborative efforts of others in order to extend your own progress and, and in so doing, extend the progress of others. But truly successful people understand and embrace this idea that collaboration can lead to better outcomes than any individual could achieve on their own. In order to do this, you have to learn to value differences. You have to learn to value differences. I don't need everybody on my team to think and behave like me. Because if I got nine other people on my team who think and behave like me, there are going to be some places, there are going to be some gaps, there are going to be some places that's going to be missing. I need people on my team who think about other people first. I need people on my team who are visionaries. I need people on my team who are analytical. Because I'm a person who's very detailed oriented. 
So if I get those other three kinds of people on my team, we become a complete circle. And that is the reason that God has called others to come alongside you to pour into you and you pour into them to seek that mutual benefit so that you can come collaborative, so that you don't have to compete, so that you can synergize because you realize there's enough resources for all of us. That is what truly successful people do. They learn to value the differences in other people. They understand and value this idea that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. They have a mindset that says, I don't know everything, but I can surround myself with people who, don't, who, who know what I don't know. They seek mutual benefit and they seek synergy and they're collaborative in their efforts. And then lastly, number seven, the thing that I believe that, that, that truly successful do, truly successful people do, is they learn to practice, now hear me, self-renewal. They learn to practice self-renewal. In order to be effective in the long run, you must take time to renew and to take care of yourself across multiple dimensions. You got to take care of your spiritual health, your mental health, your emotional health, your physical health, your vocational health, and your relational health. You have to be a person who understands that you cannot run around 24 hours a day, seven days a week, trying to meet the needs of everyone else and not taking care of yourself. You have to take care of yourself so you can even be around to help somebody else. So people who are genuinely successful, they understand the necessity in practicing self-renewal. Practicing self-renewal involves taking deliberate and proactive steps to rejuvenate and refresh yourself physically, mentally, and emotionally. It is self-care that goes beyond just going to a spa day once every six months. It goes beyond the idea of just taking a vacation once or twice a year. It's about what do you do on a daily basis? Truly successful people have a, 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 a litany of things that they do. Some people meditate. Some people write and journal. Some people go for a run. Some people pick up a hobby. They paint. They bowl. Bowling has been so therapeutic for me. I, I absolutely look forward to Thursday nights. It lasts from about 6.30 till about 9.15 or 9.30. In those three hours, if you've noticed, I'm probably not even on my phone. I'm not even on my phone. Why? Because I'm just in the moment. I'm in the moment with my teammates. I'm in the moment with the people I'm bowling against. I'm, a, I, I'm just figuring out what I can do to get better at that particular hobby, right? Somebody asked what was number five. Number five was to employ empathetic communication. Truly successful people employ empathetic communication. Uh, here it is. They employ empathetic communication. 
So yes, so on number seven, I'm talking about self-renewal. It is this idea, right? About self-care being something I do every day. In order for me to be, to be the best husband I can be, I have to make sure I'm taking care of myself. In order to be the best father I can be, I gotta make sure I'm taking care of myself. In order to be the best pastor I can be, I have to make sure I'm taking care of myself. And I can look back Somebody said, what was number six? Number six was they collaborate in their endeavors. They collaborate in their endeavors. And in just a second, if you if you hang with me, I'll go through. I'll put all of them back on the screen one by one real quick. But I got to make sure that I'm the best version of me. If I'm not the best version of me, you don't get the best pastor. You don't get the best husband, the best father, the best friend, the best fraternity brother. You don't, you don't, you don't get the best of those things if I'm not my best. So what are the things that I can do? So I started eating different. I started moving my body more. I started being uh, deliberate about the things that I read and I watch, right? Because I'm just trying to improve. I want to be excellent. I want to be what we said earlier is I want to be high quality. I want to be outstanding. I want to be extremely good. Watch this at everything that I do. I don't just want to be excellent at some things. I want to be excellent at everything that I do. Okay, here, let's go through these one more time so that you, I don't confuse anybody. Number one, I said, if you're going to be, if you're truly going to be successful, you have to take personal responsibility. Okay, if anybody's typing out there, you can put these in the comment section. Okay, number one, you got to take personal responsibility. Number two, we said that you have to value vision. You have to value vision. You got to dream again. You got to have some dreams. You got to have some, what I used to call BHAGs. BHAGs. What are BHAGs? They're big, hairy, audacious goals. What's your BHAGs for 2024? You should already be thinking about those. What's the big, hairy, audacious goal you're going after in 2024? You want to be debt free? You want to get all of your vital numbers and your health under control? You want to get off that medication? You want to increase your finances? What are you going to, what, what's your dream? Truly successful people dream. They have vision. They value it. Number three, we said that you have to prioritize what's important. You have to prioritize what's important. If you don't prioritize what's important, everything that is not urgent, and everything that is not important will come into your life inside, inside, and be a sideshow distraction for you. Then we said number four, people who are truly successful, they seek mutual benefit. They seek out opportunities to be in win-win situations. They do not believe, they do not believe that the world is focused on a zero-sum game. That every time somebody wins at me, somebody has to lose. They don't believe that. They don't believe that all the resources are contained in one pie. And that if somebody gets a bigger piece of pie, that means they have to have a smaller piece. We say it like this. Everything God has for me is for me. And as a result, I have an abundance mentality and not a scarcity mentality. 
All right. And then we said number five was that you have to employ empathetic communication. You got to learn to not only listen to people for how it benefits you, but you got to learn to listen to people because you have a genuine care. Truly successful people have the ability to listen and to communicate verbally un and non-verbally with other people that what's being said is important. And the truth is we all want to be heard. We all desire to be heard. And people who practice and employ empathetic communication, that comes across to the people who they are listening to. And then we said number six was that they are collaborative in their efforts, in their endeavors. So not only do they seek mutual benefit, but they are collaborative. They seek out people to work with. They understand that they're not an island by themselves. They understand that they, they have to have someone who can come alongside them to help them. And just like they, they need other people, other people need them. And then the seventh one, we said that you have to practice self-renewal. You got to be a person who's willing to take time and effort to renew yourself so that you can be the best version of yourself for other people. Okay, so hopefully you got those. Hopefully that whatever order you had those in, you have them in the right order now. Uh, they are not in a hierarchy, right? Not in a hierarchy. Uh, you may be doing good on one of these and not so well on the other, but you need to practice all seven. All seven of these, uh, whether they're titans of industry, whether they're in athletics or in their arts and politics and finance and entertainment and business and construction or whatever the case may be, these are seven habits that you can practice on a daily basis that will cause you to stand out. I had a mentor tell me one time, and I'll never forget it. He said to me one time, he was talking to me about, about this idea of excellence and how being excellence, what he said to me was, he said, because you are excellent, he said, in your absence, your excellence will speak for you. And he was giving me an example of how there was a meeting that I wasn't in. And I actually had, and, I, and this is a testimony for some of you, I had actually done something wrong on a report. Uh, I had inverted some calculations somehow and it, it threw some things off. I wasn't at the meeting to present. He presented for me at the meeting. And because it was wrong, everybody in the room said, Edwin couldn't have done this. We don't know what happened, but Edwin wouldn't have turned this in. We know his work product. We've seen his analysis before. We've seen his PowerPoints. We've seen his recommendations. This doesn't make sense. Edwin wouldn't have done that. And so they literally left the meeting thinking that somehow the computer spit something out wrong, something got done wrong. And I came back and I admitted to the team, no, I did this thing wrong. I can fix it. I know what happened. And I fixed it and had it ready for the next meeting. But because I had been so excellent in the work product that I had produced, even when I made a mistake, excellence, wouldn't, excellence was speaking for me. And he was talking to me about that. And he was saying that if you will remain excellent in everything that you do, even when you aren't in the room, excellence will be speaking for you. And so I never forgot that. And so I tell people the importance of practicing excellence is so important because even when you're not around, excellence will be talking on your behalf. Your work product will be speaking for you. 
your character will be talking to you. That's exactly right. Consistency absolutely matters. So when we talk about excellence, we're talking about being better than mediocrity. And here's the thing, one of my, my, my mentor, that same mentor told me one time, he said, you know what's really sad? We were on a plane and we were just talking one time. And he said, here's what's really sad. He said, it doesn't take a lot to truly be excellent in our society because so many people are absolutely mediocre. I want you to think about that. He said, all you got to do is just be a little better than average. Because our society is so hell bent on just being mediocre. That just being a little better than average makes you appear to be excellent. He said, but don't short, don't shortchange yourself. Even though it only takes a little bit more than being mediocre to be perceived as excellent. He said, excellence is about you doing the best you know you can do. And so that's always been my thing. I may not be able to do it at your level, but I can absolutely do it at my best level. And whatever my best level is, I can find another way to outdo that the next week, in the next month, in the next year. And these seven habits will help you do exactly that. So we've been talking about managing excellence, the seven habits that fuel greatness. Before we go, I'm going to do one of the things my wife always does. Tell me one thing, just one thing. There's still about... 40 of you hanging on, and I appreciate you guys hanging on. I know we went about an hour and, and, and 20 minutes today. But tell me just one thing, just one thing. Praise God. Mortgage being paid off. Amen. I'm believing with you too. But tell me one thing, just one thing that you got from this teaching today. I just want to see one thing you got from this teaching today, and then we're going to get on off off of here. Navigating excellence. I know it's a little delay, so I'll wait. But I want to hear. I want to hear from you. Let me know. Talk to your boy, Pastor Strick. What did you get out of this teaching today? What's one thing that resonated with you? Mr. Harris says, understanding empathetic communication. Yep. That's something that I'm working on. I'm working on being able to listen and talk with people to such a degree that they can actually feel my concern. <sighs> All right, here we go. Somebody to have a bigger vision and dream again. Yes, come on. Let's, let's work on our BHAGs for 2024. Our big, hairy, audacious goals. I like that. Understanding the circle of influence versus the circle of, of control. Visualiz how important visualization is. It is. We got to dream again. How to always operate in excellence. That's, that's, that's important. Yep, prioritizing what's important. And that's really important, Josh, especially as a leader, especially someone who has multiple people working under you. It can be so easy to get bogged down in the unimportant and unurgent things. Those of you who say you want to dream, spend the day dreaming. It's okay to dream. It is okay to dream. Dexter said just being intentional about all of these. That's Yeah, that's something I'm working on too, being intentional. Working for mutual benefit, win-win. We talked about those BHAGs in season one. We have to bring those back up. Our big, hairy, audacious goals. Seeing the end goal, visualizing will be motivation to keep going. Absolutely. If you can, if you can already see the thing, 
man, it'll help you keep going. That's why sometimes I buy something. If I don't, if I've gained weight, I'll buy something that I know I can't wear. Uh, this just so it forced me to, to to lose weight and to get back in that thing. Yes, I want everyone to win too. An abundance mindset. Listen, if you function from a scarcity mindset, it will keep you in poverty. When I say in poverty, I don't just mean money. I mean, it will keep you in a lower state than you're supposed to be because that's what scarcity does. It tells you it's not enough. Miss French says she's going to practice self-renewal and actually doing that on a regular basis. Listen, I tell people self-renewal is not even on a regular basis. It's a daily basis. It's a daily basis. If it ain't doing nothing but going to the park. It was funny. My wife and I were walking this morning. And we were walking by the park and there was a man just sitting in his truck. And she was talking about how so many people just sit in their cars at the park. And that was funny because I used to do that. I didn't sit in the car, but I would go to the park and I would get on a swing and I would swing for 10 to 15 minutes. And it's what I did when I got off work before I came home, because it allowed me to be fully present. When I got home, rather than just showing home from work and, and having to deal with everything at home, for 15, I took 15 minutes to just swing because I enjoy swinging. I used to love it as a kid. I actually still love it as a 51-year-old. I love to swing. I love to swing. And so I would get on a swing and just swing for 10 or 15 minutes, start off going kind of slow, and near the end, I'm going as high as I can go. It was just invigorating. I get off the swing, I go home, and then I could be fully present. Somebody said the difference between mediocre and excellence is effort. That's true. That's true. It's effort. And a lot of people don't put a lot of effort into stuff. So listen, I appreciate all the things you guys are sharing. Part of the reason I ask you to share this is because when people watch this on the replay, they get to see your comments. They get to see your comments and your comments folk function as a teaching tool. And Ed Talk is all about teaching. And so I want people to not just hear from me when it comes to this, but from you. I want them to hear what your learning is. Somebody says mutual benefits are, are an opportunity for me to make sure. Yep, I'm accountable and responsible. Life is not one-sided. It is not. We need to partner with people. We need to partner with people. One of the reasons churches don't partner together is because they'd be like, well, if I partner with your church, maybe some of my folk going to leave my church and go to your church. You know how many unsaved people it is in the world? We should never have to worry about having competition between churches. But that happens because people function from a scarcity mentality. I say all the time, if somebody benefits better by going to another ministry, that's what I want them to do. Because I want them to win in life. Because I want them to win. So listen, God bless you guys. I appreciate you. Thank you for stopping in. Next week will be the last uh, episode of Ed Talk for season two. Uh, doesn't mean we're going to be finishing Ed Talk, but Ed Talk is going to take a break, a short break from where it's just me talking to you. And I got a special, special announcement that I'm going to announce next week about what's going to happen with Ed Talk in the months of November and December, right? So you don't want to miss it. I'm going to have some interesting guests on. We're going to do this series called The Blueprint. I'm going to be talking to different people in different industries, and we're going to be talking about these same kind of things, like what do we do to be excellent? Uh, what do we do to in our daily lives so that we get to be better people? How do we work together, right? How do we, how do we synergize? Um, and what have they done in their lives? Because I use this episode to talk to you about these habits 
And then I'm going to use the blueprint series so that you can hear from some really engaging leaders about how they've done it so that you're not just hearing from me, but you're getting to hear from other people in other industries. All right. I appreciate you guys. Listen, have a blessed day. Have a great day. Uh, be kind to one another. Uh, do something nice for somebody. And whatever you do, find a way to sow into someone's life today right? Find a way to sow into someone's life today, whether that's just an act of kindness, whether maybe you, you, you maybe you're standing in line and you buy them a Starbucks or something, you pay for the person behind you, or you let somebody pull out in front of you. Find some way to be nice to someone else today, all right? God bless you. Thank you so much, and you all have a fantastic day. God bless. <laughs>